Good morning, everyone. It's a very special morning. It is for me. I know it would do for a lot of people, but everyone was in, in the uh, time of troubles in this country and outside of it, so this is where we'll start from. First of all, I'd like to thank uh, Pastor Paul for inviting me to say a few words as I was in the RAF and served in Germany. And uh, I'm also in the Nuneaton Stockingford Royal British Legion. Today we are organising 100 years from the end of the First World War. Each time we go through this, it will be easier to understand what we're looking at. There's a Second World War, there's a Korean War, there is an Argentinian-type war. So we've gone through those, and we're still going through it. So up until the uh, Falklands War, I was still eligible to go into the forces. They could call me up, and I'd have to go. So that was one of the things that uh, I finished with way back. The problem is that I have to... We'd have to be ready to take, take up arms if necessary. We're trained. Many others, as I said, they're still getting little wars in different places, so we still have to be there and have to be ready. The th trouble is many people got killed, many people got badly injured, as we see with the different people that you see on the television who are going through the... You see the state of the poor guys there, but they say no state... I'm fit, I'll do it. And they do remarkable things. How they put, well, mind you, when you're in the forces, it's amazing what they put you through and you have to come up with the goods. So with all this happening, we like to remember all the people, the ones injured, the ones who have been killed and, of course, their families. It's so important. We have to look at everything. So today we will remember them. We will do it with the rest of the country because we shall go from me into the uh, Remembrance Service. It's a little bit longer, but uh, we, we'll join in with them. And then we can all get together as a nation, which we like to do. Well, I was always happy to go to the services. Before I went in the forces, I was a cadet, I did four, four or five years in there, and uh, so I used to go to all of these services. So I think it's a great thing to do, and it's a good thing for all people to know why we do it. We do it in remembrance of those, the people that have gone through it. Some have come back out of it, others haven't. Jill brought me this uh, book of poems which have been specially put together for remembrance from your brother-in-law. And uh, there's one in here particularly that I just want to read to you just before we switch the radio on and hopefully the technology will get us to the cenotaph. It's called A Couple of Minutes. A couple of minutes to stand and remember on a cold, clear day in the middle of November to remember those beautiful, blossoming young lives who never came home to family and wives who never placed feet again on homelands or sat in the silence with new life in their hands. And the sadness on faces and the raw broken hearted pined for their loves whose lights now departed. For so many faded under death's dark curse 
leaving me longing to put time in reverse and pull the poor boys from the mud pit of hell blown to their doom by the foe's angry shell to cover their sight from the horrors displayed of snuffed out souls by gun and grenade then gather these lads and lead them away from the blooded cruel and grotesque day to whisper the words of future and hope and walk by their sides so they're able to cope while their songs fill the air that minister relief and hold them as they shake in their brokenness and grief but through closed eyes all i can see are swathes of young men who died for me and their numerous graves all marked by cold stone on sorrowing ground where none lie alone and still we remember the mind-numbing cost of deep red fields filled up with the lost then i open my eyes for two minutes have gone but i will never forget the light they all shone in duty in sacrifice in dying and then i will stand once more to remember them Churchill and Eisenhower were planning and, and working through the plans for the war. It wasn't actually about the war itself, it was about their planning of it. And it struck me how much time they spent seeking God and asking the nation for prayer. And the nation really, really got behind them. There were queues of people to get into churches to pray. And God was so central to everything that was happening there. And the hymns which I've chosen this morning all reflect who God is and our relationship to him and how we need to turn to him in every situation of our lives. Okay, Revelation 3, 1 to 6, if you have it in front of you. We're carrying on with the messages to the seven churches in Revelation. Um, I'm going to deal with this. There's six verses. So I'm just simply going to go through those six verses. And we'll, we'll therefore cover the things that are in there. I'll just read them through first of all. And to the angel of the church in Sardis. So we're talking about Sardis. Write. The words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then 
What you received and heard, keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet you still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now when you read that through at first sense, there's this awful lot, there's also not a lot. It, it's... Um, it depends how you read it, because the message here is the same message to the Old Testament, that we hear this message over and over again given to Israel. But we'll just work through this. Now, what I wanted, the first bit, and to the angel of the church of Sardis, I'm going to deal with that last. So let's jump to the next bit. The words of him who have the seven spirits and of God and the seven stars. Now, if you look at this, we're referring back here to the start of Revelation, Revelation 1, 17, 20, where Jesus appears before John. And there's a description of Jesus. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, but he laid his right hand on me saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last, and the living one. I died and behold, I am, am alive forevermore. I have the keys of death and Hades. Write therefore these things you have seen, that those... Um, th- these are the things that will take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand, these are the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. And the first thing, again, let's refer back to another piece of scripture. This is, reminds us very much of the start of Ezekiel, where Ezekiel has a similar vision. And there's a similar vision in Daniel and something else in Isaiah. So the claim here in the book of Revelation is you should read this book in the same way, with the same authority that you would give to Ezekiel or to Isaiah or to Daniel. So there's a clear claim here from this, this particular scripture that it should be read as scripture. It, it, it's so similar. And anybody from the first century who read this would immediately, anybody Jewish would immediately have in their minds this picture of God appearing before Ezekiel. And let's just read a little bit of it, it's so similar. Um, even the description of the vision is, the, is similar to the description of, of Jesus. And upward from what had a, the appearance of his waist, I saw as if it were gleaming metal like the appearance of fire enclosed all around. And downward from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw, as it were, the appearance of fire. And there was a brightness around him. And then uh, Ezekiel falls down as though dead. And he said to me, Son of man, stand up, and I will speak to you. Um, The the point we, we pick up on immediately is this is a vision of God. And in in, in Revelation, it's a picture of Jesus. And they're very, very similar. And the same thing happens. So what is the writer of Revelation saying to us about Jesus? He's saying, look, compare. 
This is God appearing towards Ezekiel, and this is God appearing towards me. So not only are we, are we shown that we should accept revelation as being uh, a scripture, we're given a picture of Jesus which is identical to a picture of God. So we're getting a picture now of, of who's talking to us. It's interesting too here, uh, just to pick up on this point, um, I think I've said this many, many times, and I'll have to carry on saying it. Uh, the Holy Spirit never, ever overpowers you in Scripture. You always leave some control. The only time the Holy Spirit overpowers you is in judgment. That is, all the way through Scripture. So again, under fear, Ezekiel falls down, um, but, but God says to Ezekiel, stand up. Now I'll speak to you. In Revelation, he falls down and God says, uh, fear not, now write this down. So you have to come back and be compass mentis when you're talking to God. That's what this is consistently all the way through Scripture. Right. So let's, let's look at what we're, we're, we're looking at here. Now, let's just make one little analogy again with the Lord's Prayer. How does the Lord's Prayer start? Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. So when we're taught to pray, we're, the first thing we do is recognize to whom we're praying. We recognize the greatness of God in our prayer. And how do these visions start off? Exactly the same way. There's a consistency through the basic teaching of scripture that doesn't vary. You must appreciate who you're praying to and who that God is. So we start off with, with that. Okay, let's go on to the um, next bit. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I come against you. This is not new teaching. This is very, very common throughout the whole of the Old Testament. But if you pick up on something, don't pick up on the you have failed bit. Pick up on the opportunity to repent and change. That's the important thing. Right? We all very easily can come under judgment and we all feel how we could have done better, we could have done whatever else. Here is the opportunity. Repent and change. That's the opportunity. Now, I don't want to spend any longer on that because it is um, very similar to, to Old Testament teaching. The three points. There is opportunity to repent and change. If not, there's going to be a price to pay. Just... Do remember that, because this is both personal and national. And then, this is the point I really want to hold on to. Remember what you have received and heard. So, how do we repent? What do we, what do we look back to? What you have received and heard. It's there in the scripture. Now, I'm going to just... Uh, I knew that, of course, as soon as I put a mobile phone on here and say, I'm going to use this, it's going to go out. Here we are. What you have received and heard. Now, I want you to, to listen to this carefully. This is from Romans 1.18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. And this is the key bit which we need to hold on to, particularly today. Of those who suppress the truth 
those who suppress the truth. Not just not knowing it, but actively suppress it. Because what can be known about God is plain to them. Because God made it plain to them. How has God made his truth plain to the ungodly? Because they don't believe the scriptures. There's no good coming to the Bible. Because they just don't believe it. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature has been clearly seen because they are understood through what was made. So they are without excuse. Now, we can paraphrase that and just use one word, science. Science proves God. Great move today to try and say science disproves God. I still love standing on platforms and saying to people, bring me one, just one piece of scientific evidence that says God doesn't exist. And the only reply I get back is, well, there's no evidence that he does exist. That wasn't the question I asked. Because all over schools, colleges, we are taught that it's unscientific and irrational to believe in God. Well, give me a piece of evidence that says that. And I'm still waiting. I don't believe there is one because it's science proves a design in nature. And we can go further, but we won't go there today. But it's this thing about suppressing truth. I, I, I came across something on the internet the other day that I, I, I still, I read it four or five times. I don't know whether this was um, some guy taking the mickey or whether he was serious. Um, it's a Dutch guy. Have you, have you, this Dutch guy who's 69. Have you heard about this Dutch guy who's 69? There's a Dutch guy who's 69. And he's quite fit and quite healthy. Same age as me. Not quite as fit and healthy. But anyway. He has appealed to the Dutch government. This is true, okay? He legally wants his age changed from 69 to 49. Because he says, I'm, that's what I'm like. And when he was told this was stupid, his reply was, but you're legally allowed to change your sex. You're legally allowed to do other things. Why can't I change my, my age? Now, I don't know whether he is making a, a point and, 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 and spoofing it or whether he's serious. When you read it, you tend to think he might be serious. But it's this thing about suppressing truth. It's not just having a different view we live in a time where truth is actively suppressed because we want to believe what we want to believe. So, the message to Sardis, remember what you have received and heard. If you can't believe the scriptures, look to science. When Job was being challenged and God appears in that wonderful book and you get these four or five chapters of God reveals himself to Job and his friends, what does God do? He appeals to his creation. He says, look, look, this is what I did. Look, look, look. Look around. It's all there. Third point. Yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. God always leaves a witness. Even here in Sardis, there was a witness. Don't feel alone. You're not alone. 
You're not the only person standing up for God. He has left a witness. And this bit about you will walk with him in white, so often that is interpreted as meaning eternally in heaven. But it may well mean that. It doesn't only mean that. It means walking with you now. God will be walking with you in this life. He will be helping you. He will be protecting you. He will be with you in this life. So there is a price to pay. It clearly says this. If we walk away from God's teaching. But there's a blessing and a benefit to continuing your life with God's teaching. And the fourth point. He who has a hear, let him hear what the, church, what the Lord says to the churches. There's always going to be a struggle. There's always those who will listen and those who won't. And you're going to come under this all the time, sort of uh, organized pressure against uh, a, a, a Christian belief or a scientific belief, I would say, these days, as we try and bend truth to what we want it to be. There's always going to be a struggle. Don't be surprised if you're in a struggle. One of the biggest mistakes of life is to say, I'm going to put something right when the time is right. I'm going to wait till the time is right. Well, you'll never get there. Always something will happen that you haven't thought of. Just as you think, right, I'm going to plan this and um, make this resolution. And then when this is out the way, then I've got space to do that. Bang, something else will happen. It's so arranged. It's called being human. No, don't put off doing what God wants you to do. Don't put off doing the right things. Do it now, whatever the cost, because the blessing will be greater than the cost. Right. So that's worked through those points. Now we're going to come to the first point. Um, to the angel of the church in Sardis. Sardis was an ancient capital of a kingdom called Lydia. It was part of the Persian Empire, so it came along before the Romans. It was an ancient, wealthy, powerful area. Now, as it is now, it's on the, um, at the time of John writing this, it was on the west coast of Turkey. But it was part of this ancient empire. So I want to make some comparisons here. Sardis was the capital of a very powerful ancient empire. Sounds familiar? A bit like the United Kingdom. When I grew up, certainly in the 60s, we were shown maps at school. All coloured, all coloured pink. And most of the world is pink, part of the British Empire. And now, we're really wondering whether the United Kingdom can hold together pretty clear that the Europeans are saying, oh, you can have some independence, the price is Northern Ireland. Um, you know, it's, uh, the United Kingdom has completely come down now to just Little England, really, with the Welsh still supporting us, just, just. But Sardis was like that. Sardis was once a great, great, uh, a great empire. And now it's uh, history. Its importance was firstly due to its military strength. History of the British Empire. Greatest navy the world ever had. Pretty undefeated army for a good few hundred years. It's military strength. Secondly, to its situation as on an important highway 
Well, sitting off the coast of Europe made us pretty well in the right situation. Again, very similar. And thirdly, to its commanding the wide, fertile plains. So we commanded all the seas outside Europe. So it's very similar. Sardis, very similar to the United Kingdom. The early Lydian kingdom was very advanced in the industrial arts. Industrial arts. Where did the Industrial Revolution first start? Just down the road in Telford. Very again, very similar to the United Kingdom. And Sardis became the chief seat of its manufacturers. The United Kingdom was the biggest industrial producer to well into the 20th century. The Americans overtook us sort of early in the 20th century. But that's the history. The most important of these trades was the manufacturing and dyeing of wool. Do you know what the wool sack is? If you go to the House of Lords, there is, in the middle of the House of Lords, a big sack of wool. And it's called the wool sack. And it was put there, way back 17-something, to remind the Lords that the, 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 the economic power of the British Empire was based on wool. Long time ago, but it's still there. <laughs> I'm just amused at the similarity. The wool sack. And the other thing they were very famous for was dyeing. Um, cotton, and well, well, fabrics. Uh, what was the industrial north of England based upon? The, the cotton, initially it was the cotton factories, the cotton mills. So then, very similar to the United Kingdom. Now there was um, a stream which ran through the city of Sardis which carried golden sands. In actual fact, it was the gold dust which was washed off Mount uh, Timolus, which is the local mountain. And during the reign, I'm, re I'm reading now from Wikipedia, uh, during the reign of King Croesus, the metallurgists of Sardis discovered the secret of separating gold from silver, and they produced metals of purity never known, and this caused an economic revolution. Just like happened here. So Sardis, very, very similar. The history of Sardis at this time would have been similar to the United Kingdom. You know, was once an empire, had all this now, and now it's all, all, all dying off. Now, many, many commentators have, have commented on this history of the of, of Sardis and have said that its wealth and its history is probably the cause of this spiritual decline. Um, that's the sort of a common way of interpreting this. I'm really not so sure that's the case, to be honest. Um, I think having too little wealth is by far a bigger problem. And if I had to live in a society that had too much wealth, I'd rather live in one that one than one that had too little wealth. So I'm not sure that's the case. I think the answer is clearly in the text. And we need to go back to the text. And what I've already alluded to... Um, Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found in you your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you have received and keep it. The problem was not listening to what God was saying. That's the problem in Sardis. They're not listening to God's teaching. However it comes. Now, 
What's fearful and different about the culture in the United Kingdom in 2018 and is different from 1960 is pretty apparent to everybody who was around in 1960 or before. One of the issues is today's complete disregard for logic and reason. It is just passed out the window, hence my comment about the guy who's 69 and says he wants to be 49. I just want, I want to be 49. It's, it's right. I should just, why can't I be 49? Because uh, you're 69. <laughs> Economies based upon the fact that 1 plus 1 equals 3. Oh, let's base an economy on 1 plus 1 equals 3. In other words, we'll borrow from tomorrow and let the next generation pay it back. Oh, this is a great idea. We get rich today. And then, of course, it keeps going on and going on. It's never, ever succeeded, but we keep on doing it. 101 making three. No, it doesn't. 101 makes two. In the 1960s, there was a, the culture was that there was science and there was fact and there was reason. We've now gone into this postmodernistic belief in which science and logic goes out the window and it's what I want to believe is, is fine for me. That's what it should be. It should be as it is. And we've got this, these wonderful new concepts. Um, identity politics, for example, which people try and say, but that's a really recent invention. There is, I think, a small little glimmer of help coming from some corners. I'm beginning to see. It's very rudely treated by the media. Anybody here heard of a guy called Jordan Peterson? Yeah. He's a psychologist, a, a Canadian psychologist. He's also, I would humbly say, a genius. I mean, if you listen to him speaking, he's amazing. He's brilliant. Interestingly enough, he will not call himself a biblical Christian. He says he is a Christian because he's from a Christian tradition. He will not identify himself with Christian theology. This actually makes his arguments more powerful because the, the, the left can't point at him and say, look, he's just another doctrinal another Christian. He, he comes back to science all the time. I was listening to him on, the, uh, on, on a program, a, a YouTube uh, discussion just a couple of days ago when he was talking to some, somebody about the history of America. And this person made the point, strongly made the point, that America was based upon a sexist and racial discrimination, which is there in the early writings, da, 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 and when all, you know, um, I could be rude and say flaky, snowflake, lefty, you know, and just America is all bad and all this, that, and the other, because it's got all this, this, no, da, da. And he stopped her and actually said, no, no. And he's not a Christian. No, he said. That's a very distorted view. The strength of the American foundation was its Judo-Christian teaching that men and women together make up the image of God and both equally reflect the divine. Now, that's typical Jordan Peterson. He likes to use long words. But you, I'll read that again. But you can hear what he's saying. He corrected this person and said, no, yeah, of course there's problems in American history. It was a product of its time. The people who wrote the American Constitution didn't actually believe in democracy. They actually wrote it to impede democracy. Uh, that's where it was. But he made this point. I'll read it again. 
uh, one of the strengths of the American Foundation was its Judo-Christian teaching that men and women together make up the image of God and both equally reflect the divine. Gosh, you can't say that today. You know, we, we, can't, we have this huge movement going on in the UK today to say that the UK is not based upon a Christian teaching. No, it's, no, it's not. Sorry, the first king who united England was Alfred the Great, and he did it under a Christian banner. He had a battle in which he fought with the then invading Vikings, and he won. And he went to them and said, let's not have a war. Let's, you, you become Christians and you can become part of the kingdom. Extremely generous, almost unheard of in that time. And they said, well, this is a better idea. So they converted to Christianity and England became a Christian nation and all those Viking warlords were accepted into the, uh, the ruling powers of, of, of UK. At that. This is about AD 600 or something. But to say that the, that the, back, that the basis of, of, of Western society is not Christian is loopy. It's just mad. But that's where we are. That's where we are today. We are suppressing the truth. We are suppressing the truth. And this was the problem with Sardis. It suppressed the truth. The answer is to stand up and claim the truth. Remember then what you have received and you have heard and keep it. Now, we're not all going to agree. Certainly when it comes to interpreting scripture and science, we're not all going to agree. But there is a spirit, there is an approach in which we are seeking truth from both the word of God and from honest, truthful science. And a postmodernistic Identity politics way, which says, I want to have what I want to have. I'm 69, I want to be 49. I still can't believe he's actually doing it. I, 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 is it a joke? I don't know, but he's, he's actually doing it. You know, we, we have over the internet all these uh, claims about sexuality and things like that. Um, I hate to tell you this, but your body's made up of cells. Or do you all know that? Every single cell in your body is labeled male or female. Don't want that to be true? Tough. That's how it is. You can have surgery. Every cell in your body is still male or female. And then we get claims, oh, God made me like this. And you go on the internet, you can find thousands and thousands of testimonies of people who said, yeah, I thought I was like that, and I've changed. That's suppressed. That is suppressed. It's pushed down. It's not put out in the public. What is put out in the public is the postmodernistic suppression of truth that, to quote uh, Nietzsche, what's happened is man is making God in man's image. That's what we want. We want truth to be what I want it to be now. It isn't. Truth is what truth is. We will be happier, we will be freer, we will be more content when we live our lives as God made them and God intended them to be. Years ago, we had bicycles, little bicycles. They weren't mountain bikes, but as kids, we treated them like mountain bikes. And they fell apart. (laughs) 
Now you've got mountain bikes. And you have to look after them the way the, the instruction says. If you don't, they fall apart. You've all got cars. One of my daughters is determined to prove to me that you can drive a car forever and not service it and it will carry on going. It won't. And I have to keep coming back to her and saying, no, no, you have no. But she keeps on trying to prove to me, leave it alone and it will run itself. In other words, dad will come along and service it. That's what will happen. You have to treat it as it was made to be treated. That's how God's made us. And he's given us so much uh, teaching and advice on how to do this, both in the scripture and don't be frightened of honest, truthful science. Because the scripture says honest, truthful science shows you how God made the universe. And science changes. Science alters. There's great things happening in science, great fun at the moment. You know, we're just on the cusp, just on the cusp of having a theory that describes everything. Do you know who first said that? It was some guy in 1870 or something, before Einstein. And now they've gone all the way through that. And we've got to the place where we're just on the cusp of understanding everything. And then somebody wakes up and says, do you know, dark matter is over 80-70% of the universe and we don't even know what it is? Oh. Ha. Huh. Back to the drawing board. Gravity is all about bending time and space. We found a gravitron. We're miles from understanding what's going on around us. Literally, we have a long, long way to go before we get to that point. But it's how God made the universe. And if we look at honest science, we will see what God is saying to us, particularly in terms of who we are and what we are and how we live. And if you come away from that, you're going to find yourself even, even more stressed. I would have to say that today, if you stand up and live for Christian values in this country, you are going to face difficulties. It may well cost you promotion, certainly will in the NHS and in education. It may well hold back some of your other progress. You certainly won't make as much money. But you will be somebody who is walking in white with God, who will help you through your life, you will be a lot, lot happier, you will have much better relationships, and you will have a better relationship with God. Choose. It's a choice. And this was the message given to Sardis. Remember then what you have, rece- what you have received and heard, and keep it. Simple answer to Sardis. Is the future all black? No. God's in charge. That's how this starts off. I am the God that stands amongst the seven candlesticks and the seven spirits. And there's another message there too, which we could go into about churches. That these, the seven churches are appointed by God. Churches are appointed by God. You don't just go out and make a church. Church leadership is appointed by God. That's, that's the, the message here at, at the this, this start. We have to respond to what God has given us and move the way that God is asking us to move. And we'll be a lot happier. We'll live more fulfilled lives. History is full of 
empires crashing and falling and going away, like none of us have probably heard of this empire of Lydia till this morning, but it was the, Sardis was its capital. The British Empire will do much the same thing, and, and it, it will have its time, its peak, it will come down. Where is God going? I don't know, but the history is also full of, of, of little things like, like um, revivals, and, and God does come back, and he does come back to a nation. It's not impossible that God will revisit this nation. It's only going to happen if God does it. But my responsibility is to start with me. That's what I can control. I really can't do anything about the, the sort of stuff that's coming out in the media where, you know, I'm 69, I have to be called 49 because I want to. He wanted to lie on his... Yeah, on his Facebook profile. Yeah. He, 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 he claimed that he would get more... more more, more hits on Facebook if he said he was 49 than 69, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, I mean, I, I still don't know whether it was genuine or a spoof. I, I, I think, it, I unfortunately think it's true, yeah. But I mean, come on. He didn't say he wanted to go back to work full time, did he? Uh, I, I, he <laughs> <laughs> it, it may be something about his pension. But it's where we are. I mean, we're, we're in a society that accepts that someone can say, I want to be called 20 years younger because I, I want to. You know, the numbers don't add up. doesn't matter. That's the society we're in. My task and your task is to make a simple choice. Am I following God's plan for my life or am I following something else? If you go down God's plan, you will find resistance now. And one of the, what I think one of the difficulties for my generation is that we grew up in the sort of, at least I grew up in the 50s and 60s, where there was no question of doubt, despite all the social changes in the 60s, the social norm was the, what uh, Jordan Peterson calls the Judo-Christian axis. That was the social norm. There was this Judo-Christian axis, that was what was moral. And then other things were chipping away at it. And the, the chip, chip, chip. Now we've come to a place where the Christian judo access is not normal. That is now actually actively taught as being immoral. If you, if you're, if you follow that teaching. You're going to pay a price if you follow that in the world. You're going to have a wonderful re- reward from God if you follow that in your life. Our choice. That was the message to Sardis. Remember then what you received. And heard, keep it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you've not left us without a witness. That you have given us the consistency of your scripture. That you've given us a wonderful tool which we can look around us and see what you have done. How you created this world. That the, the order that's in this world that comes from you. Help people to see it. And we pray, Lord, for this nation. We pray for other nations, particularly on this time as we we, we remember a hundred years since the end of the First World War. Lord, we, we just take that point that Churchill did pray, that the leaders of America did pray. Today, Lord, in this country, if we said we we were praying, well, there we are. Father, help us to come back to you, to hear what you're saying to us, and for us to keep your statutes and your truth. Amen.